Good evening. Our reading this evening is on page 1003, 1003, and it's Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot. So as long as they have him with them, sorry, so they cannot as long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, 
and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some ears of corn. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Thank you, Sue. Good evening, everyone. Um, I wonder what your, uh, your greatest need is. You're probably thinking, Ben, be quick so I can go sit in a fridge or, or something like that. But, but you know, often your, your circumstances drive your need, don't you? So if you're, if you're hungry, uh, you need food. If you're thirsty, you need water. Uh, if you're uh, ill, uh, you need medicine. Uh, if you're tired and weary, you might say, oh, I, I, I need a holiday. Um, or if you're an England fan, you're just hoping for a try. But, but whatever it is, you know, what is your greatest need? Uh, there was a guy called uh, Maslow who came up with his uh, famous hierarchy of needs, uh, which starts at the bottom. You, you can't really read it, but, but at the bottom, it starts off with a very basic need, saying these are kind of the, the things that you need to survive, uh, and then it kind of works itself up to the sort of higher needs uh, that move on. Um, it, it, some people agree with it. Some people think it's nonsense, but, but it's just that sense of it, it. It was somebody who's saying this is kind of what people need. But what is your greatest need? And when uh, you hear someone like me saying that, uh, a vicar, it, it probably doesn't surprise you to say that actually uh, your greatest need is to have your sins forgiven. And that's true. But yet I also wonder if we sometimes say that sort of academically, but in our hearts we think something else. There's a difference between what's going on in our head and our heart. Well, tonight, as we dive into to Mark 2, uh, we're going to look at Jesus. Uh, we're going to look to see what he says, and just to see if perhaps our hearts can catch up uh, with our heads. Anyway, let's, uh, let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that it's good. Uh, And we pray uh, this evening as we look through this next chapter of Mark's gospel uh, that you would help us to to catch something of your heart uh, for us, uh, to catch something of the the need that we have, uh, and to see, Lord, your love uh, toward us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, throughout this uh, evening series, uh, we're charging on uh, through Mark's gospel. Uh, so we started last week and we looked at Mark chapter 1 and then pretty much uh, every week up to Christmas, we're looking at a, a whole chapter of Mark's gospel. Uh, so we're kind of taking a very quick sort of higher level tour, uh, seeing some of the highlights. Uh, but last week, uh, we saw in chapter 1 uh, that Jesus is the king of God's kingdom. 
Uh, Mark 1, 1, if you've got a Bible there, you see right at the top left-hand corner. Uh, in the beginning, uh, so the, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, uh, the Messiah, uh, and you can kind of see the little footnote that says uh, Messiah and Christ mean anointed one. Um, so we might say this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the, the anointed one, the Son of God. Uh, that all of Mark's gospel in chapter 1 is teeing up this sense that, that Jesus is the king of God's kingdom. Uh, but also, but more than that, uh, he has come to call uh, God's people to repent. Uh, verse 15, chapter 1. Uh, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, turn around, uh, and believe the good news. Uh, Jesus is calling, Jesus, God's king, is calling God's people to turn around uh, and repent, uh, come toward him. Uh, and now, uh, as we hit Mark 2, uh, we're going to see four different encounters. Uh, four encounters between Jesus uh, and the teachers of the law, or Pharisees, uh, who are in fundamental opposition to each other. Uh, they do not uh, want to know who Jesus is, and they don't want to listen to him. So our first encounter is there in chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And just notice again that time marker that Mark gives, that sort of pace that we move through the gospel. A few days later, it's all very quick and condensed. Jesus enters Capernaum, and the people heard that he's come. And so they gather around him. And there's probably all sorts of reasons why they came. Uh, not least because Jesus can do amazing things, uh, and they wanted to see that. Uh, they gathered around in a large crowd, and when Jesus had a crowd, he did what he always does. Uh, chapter 1, verse 38, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. And what's he doing here? Verse 2, they gathered in such large numbers, there was no room left, not even at the door, and he preached the word to them. Uh, Jesus is there teaching. That's what he's come to do. He's come to call people to say, look, this is, I'm the king of God's kingdom. Uh, you need to repent and turn around. As he's doing that, uh, some men bring their friend, uh, a paralyzed man there. They're bringing him to Jesus because they want him to heal him. A disease, or a condition perhaps I should say, um, which is permanent. We, we can't do it now. If you're paralyzed, there is no cure. But they want to bring their friend to Jesus. And they get there and there is no room. The, the absolute house is chock-a-block. So they, they do the logical thing and they go onto the roof. Now, I should say, obviously, uh, the roofs there weren't pitched. They weren't with slate tiles. Uh, they were flat. Uh, the roof was used as a, another space that people would, would use, and they could uh, dig through the roof, which was sort of more mud and, and sticks combined. So it's not quite as, uh, as weird as it might be for us. But just imagine that you were there in the room. You're there uh, with Jesus. You're listening to Jesus, and then you just hear this, this noise above you. And you're like, is the, you know, who's going to come through the roof? Oh, someone is coming through the roof. It's just like that, that moment. And you, you see this sort of dirt that just gets in your eye. And the light then starts to beam through. And then the light gets bigger and bigger. 
And then you see this sort of object cover the light, which you then realize is a person. And this person is coming down through the roof. And at that point, perhaps the cogs start to turn a little bit. You start to think, hang on a minute. He, he wouldn't do that unless he really needed to. He wouldn't be on a mat unless he was probably paralyzed. He can't walk. And Jesus is here. Like, you can almost imagine the excitement growing, saying, look, we're about to see something amazing. We're about to see a guy who can't walk, walk. Uh, and then uh, it was that moment where the, they sort of, you could imagine them meeting eyes, that the paralyzed man looking at Jesus, Jesus looking at the paralyzed man. Uh, and then verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And you think, sorry, What? Jesus, he, he can't walk. You know, and, and not being able to walk there isn't a mild convenience. There is no wheelchairs. You can't walk. You, you can't get a job. You can't get a job. You can't live. You, you're basically forced to rely upon begging. Jesus, this guy needs to walk. His greatest need is surely to walk. But Jesus says... Your greatest need is for your sins to be forgiven. Well, as Jesus uh, says that, there are some teachers of the law, verse 6, who were hearing this and sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like this? They don't care about the paralyzed man. They don't care uh, about anything related to sins. What they care about is that Jesus is saying that he's God. See that? Why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, when we talk about blaspheming, we're not just about a mild indiscretion. This is a really serious thing to say that you're, you're saying that you are God. But Jesus, verse 8, Jesus knew what they were thinking. The king of God's kingdom knew what they were thinking. And he comes up with a, a simple question. He just says, well, uh, verse eight, sorry, verse nine, sorry. Uh, which is easy to say, says paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. Well, it's easier, isn't it? It's far easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's no kind of like badge that turns from black to white. There's no test. But if you say to somebody uh, who's paralyzed, get up and walk, there's quite a good test for that. Do they walk? You know, it's that sort of, you know, it, it is a, a real physical, tangible test to see uh, what's going on. But Jesus, then, in full view of everyone, verse 10 says, But I want you to know the Son of Man has authority on earth to give sin. So he said to the man, I tell you, Get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and everyone praised God saying we've never seen anything like this. See, Jesus does the, uh, the easy, external, visible miracle 
to demonstrate that he's able to do the harder, internal, invisible miracle. Because he can do this, he can do this. Because he can heal the paralyzed man, he does say he can forgive sins. Because that sense of having your sins forgiven is the most important thing. You see, sin is not primarily horizontal. It's not primarily uh, what we do to each other, say, think, or or do. It's primarily uh, vertical. Our sin is primarily against God, against the way that we uh, treat the Lord God Almighty. At Holiday Club, we said that sin meant shove off God, I'm in charge, no to your rules. But it's fundamentally saying to God, you're not God, I am. And Jesus here is saying, our fundamental biggest problem is sin. Unless that is sorted, then everything else falls into pale insignificance. But the good news is that Jesus is able to do it. That leads us on to our our second uh, clash, verses 13 to 17. Verse 13, Uh, once again, another quick time marker, Uh, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake and a large crowd came to him. And what's he doing? And he began to teach them, doing as he always does. Uh, But as he walked along, verse 14, he he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, who's a tax collector. Uh, And he said, follow me. A tax collector, uh, the people who would uh, do their job by collecting the Romans' taxes, but also take an extra slice for themselves. Somebody who was uh, uh, not particularly looked well upon in society. And Jesus has the nerve to say, come follow me. He has the nerve to call somebody who is the, the low life of society to come and be my disciple. And more than that... He then says, I'm going to go to your house for tea. In our society, if you invite somebody in to your house, you're kind of honoring them, aren't you? Uh, you say, look, uh, you are, you're, I'm going to treat you well. Come to my house. I'll give you tea. We'll have cake. It'll be lovely. Uh, you're the special guest. In Jesus' time, it was the other way around. If you went to their house, you were honoring them. So you were saying to that person, you are special, you have honor, you can get the honor for displaying your hospitality. So going to somebody's house was an honorable thing to do. And so Jesus here is both calling Levi, the tax collector, and going to his house. And so verse 16, this clash, when the teacher of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Look, they don't mix. It's oil and water. This guy is saying he's from God, but yet, look what he's doing. But Jesus, overhearing them, simply said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. It's not the healthy need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In the same way that, that actually 
I'm sure is true for most doctors, that they actually are, are drawn towards people who need help. Not kind of uh, moving away. Jesus is drawn toward those who need help. Jesus is drawn towards sinners, not to join them, not to condone them, but to save them. At the same time, Jesus also noticed how he's asking us of a, a, a deep, penetrating question to the tax collectors, to the, to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He's also sort of started saying to them, look, you, you, you know, these tax collectors and sinners, they know they need help, but you Pharisees, teachers of the law, you, you think you're fine. You're not. But you think you're fine, so you, so you don't need me. Jesus is saying that actually, I've come for those who know they need help. The whole of society needs help. But will you ask? And then the last two clashes, uh, 18 to 22 and 23 to 27, uh, really land on, will law-keeping help you? Uh, Clash number three, uh, verses 18 to 27. Uh, is all about uh, fasting. Uh, verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? And Jesus said, verse 19, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? They can't, as long as they have him there. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. And on that day, they will fast. Saying, look, that Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm the bridegroom. I'm with my people. Now is not the time to fast. There will be a time. That is coming. But it's not now. But, but of course, the, the level down from that is really exposed in those last two metaphors that he uses in verses 21 and 22. When he says about don't sewing a, a new patch of garment onto an, an unshrunk cloth onto an old garment or uh, pouring new wine into old wineskins. Uh, both of things that will happen there is that the, the unshrunken cloth will, will shrink and therefore pull the cloth apart and make the tear bigger. Uh, and wine, new wine expands with the wineskin. But if you've already got an old wineskin that's already expanded, it will pop. So what Jesus is getting underneath there. It is saying that actually, look, you think that by fasting, God is pleased with you. Simply because you fast. You tick it off going, fasted, yep, done that. And he's saying, no. If you've been with us in the mornings, you might remember we've been looking at Exodus, where we've been talking about covenants, promises with, with agreements. That's what agreements with conditions. And we talked about an old covenant and a new covenant. And Jesus is saying, look, I've come to bring new wine. I've come to bring a new covenant. It's not about uh, rule keeping. It's not about ticking a, a box saying, yeah, I've done that. God's happy with me. It's about coming to the doctor to be made better. The law helps us to know you're sick, but it can't save you. Only the doctor can. Only God's king. 
And then the second clash, verses 23 to 28, it is about the Sabbath. Verse 23 and 24. Uh, One Sabbath, Jesus went through the grain fields and his disciples walked along. Uh, They began to pick some heads of of grain. Uh, The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus said, look, haven't you read what David did? He's referring there to, to 1 Samuel 21, where he's saying David's men were starving hungry. And the greater need was for them to eat, so they ate the consecrated bread. And that was okay. So how much more then in this situation is it okay, is the Son of Man, to say that it's okay to eat grain on the Sabbath. The Sabbath, the day of rest, is not meant to be a burden to people. It's not meant to be something saying, oh, this is, this is going to be really hard, but I, I, I've got to tick the box. It's meant to be a blessing. So Jesus says, verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Rules can't save you. Rules cannot make you better. Jesus is the king of God's kingdom. Uh, he, he calls his people to turn and follow him. Uh, he says that actually, uh, this is the way to go, and the Pharisees who teach the law are opposing that at every step. The whole of Mark 2 is just saying, look, Jesus is going this way. This is Jesus' way, and uh, this is the Pharisees' way, and there's just this clash that's going on. So what does it mean for us? Let's come back again to that question. What do you think or perhaps feel is your greatest need? We need to, to pause in that question and, and to help you answer this one just in your head. My life will be fixed when... Dot, 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 dot. My life will be fixed when... How do you fill that in? When we're being honest with ourselves, how do we fill it in? If we don't believe that actually our greatest need is for that that sin barrier to be destroyed, then it just changes everything. Because if if we had the, the easiest, most perfect worldly life, it would mean nothing when faced with God's king. It'd be like be saying, oh, I, I can pay a debt, but all we've got is monopoly money. Or put another way, it'd be, uh, be saying, actually, oh, I've got what I need. I'm happy with my mud pies when we could be going to the beach. It's both just not going to work, and it's also just not good. Because Jesus has come to take away our biggest problem. He has come as God's king to do what we could not. And your sin, my sin, doesn't disqualify me from him. Yes, our our sin disqualifies us from, from God's kingdom. That's why we need rescuing in the first place. But it doesn't disqualify us from Jesus. In fact, it's our sin that draws us into him. 
When we can stand and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm a sinner. I need help. At that moment, we are closer to him than we ever could be. And the idea that any rule or law would make us right is just nonsensical. Jesus is God's king. The Pharisees didn't like it. They tried to to challenge him because it challenged their perception of what their life was about. It challenged their view of themselves, that they weren't as big and grand, as great as they thought they were. But it cut to the heart of the human condition. So this evening, as we close, where are we? Are we like the Pharisees who will actually say, we can do it. I've got everything. I'll sort it. I'll win. Or are we those who say, Lord, I have nothing in my hands. I come to your table empty-handed. But in your kindness, you feed me with your body broken and bloodshed. And that is the foundation of the Christian. It might be that tonight you think what I'm saying is nonsense. Well, why not come to Alpha? Find out more. Ask questions. But if you are somebody who's going to put your trust in Jesus, know that actually as we do that, as we open up who we are, Jesus draws near to us and we are far more loved and valued than we could ever imagine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can come to you in honesty, that we, we, we don't simply, we, we can't hide, but we also don't have to hide. We thank you, Lord, that you do not push us away, but you draw near. And we pray this night that you'd help us to know your love more and to therefore live lives of love, obedience, and grace in light of it. In Jesus' name, amen.